All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 129 of the DFO Rundown, the round two edition. As uh, we are through a crazy weekend in the NHL, five game sevens, and we have the four second round matchups. Frank Saravalli, it was uh, it was quite the uh, the Saturday and Sunday, if you love intrigue and close games for game seven. We needed a dark day on Monday. We needed no games because everyone needed to catch their breath. Only Sunday was just the second day in the 104-year history of the NHL that we had two Game 7s go to overtime in the same day. That's on top of the three awesome Game 7s that we had on Saturday. Do you remember when we were complaining about this first round, you know, not really living up to the hype? Well, Games 5, 6, and 7 in the series everybody uh, kind of batting down the hatches and it was like, okay, no more blowouts. We're going to play. And, uh, and I hope that that carries over Frank, but uh, what stood out for you, if anything, of any of those game five uh, of those five game sevens, I would say goaltending. I mean, Jake Ottinger, the, huh. there are no words like the Calgary flames almost got goalied. Like that's yeah. the definition of getting goalied. And it's funny because the longer that game went on, the more I was convinced that the flames were losing because there was just, they weren't getting anything by Ottinger. Like the longer it goes on, the stars are just going to find one opportunity and win. 
and sneak out with uh, and and kill all of our Battle of Alberta vibes. And that didn't happen. Johnny Gaudreau, for the player that was perhaps coming into the playoffs with more question marks about his postseason play and track record than anyone else, delivers in such a huge moment, a really a signature moment for Johnny Gaudreau. Oh, huge goal for him. Uh, huge goal for the province, Frank. Honestly, I think uh, when you look at it that, um, you know, Edmonton and Calgary, uh, the restaurant and bar industry was crushed for, for COVID like it was uh, across the countries. Um, you look at, uh, you know, they're going to have a great two weeks, uh, regardless of who wins or loses that series. So uh, it was huge from a business standpoint, I think, for a lot of Albertans. And you know, it's been since 1991. When Essatikan and in overtime uh, won the last Oilers Flames series, so there's generations of fans, uh, decades of fans who've never seen a game seven, never even seen a Battle of Alberta live. So uh, Tyler she, Uremchuk was minus six years old then. Yeah. Oh, lots of people just weren't weren't ready uh, <laughs> for what's going to come, and it'll be a lot of fun. I just want to say this right now: don't fight opposing fans. Okay, you can chirp, you can yell, but I've never understood the, you know, hey, you're a Calgary fan, I'm an Edmonton fan, now I have to fight. It's kind of stupid, but nonetheless. Um, the thing that's like Miro, at least it's not LA. That means you won't get knifed. So that's good. (laughs) Fair point. Why did, did an LA King fan get knifed? No, it just feels like it happens on the regular outside of Dodger stadium or something. Oh yeah. 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 That's more. Yeah. The baseball for sure. Yikes. Um, you look at, uh, I thought Miro Heiskin in that game was unreal too. I, th- I was waiting for him to pull a Kale McCarr and finish one of a, one of those chances off because he, he had the, hit the post twice, eight. I think. Oh yes. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I'm sure it was a stressful time for, for Calgary fans. As you said, uh, they close to gotten goalied. Um, what about the Rangers? Coming back in, in elimination games three consecutive times. You're down two nothing in two of those games. They just kept battling back and battling back and found a way to win, man. Uh, I give them huge props because there was numerous times in games five and six and seven that I thought they were done. They had no business winning that series. I'm sorry. Like none. They it, it, I don't know that it should have ever gotten to three to one in the series because of you know, how it went back and forth. And I think the Rangers just found themselves in this spot that they tried to get out of and, and finally just shoveled enough to get out. And the funny thing about it is Shesterkin was good and he was really good in game seven, but he wasn't outstanding really at any part in the series. No. Wow. He didn't have one game all the way through that. You were like, Oh man, he stole them one. Yeah. Oh, the Rangers gave up a lot, man. Pittsburgh had tons of chances in that series. So it was one where, you know, if you look at um, the amount of opportunities and quality chances, uh, they were in favor of Pittsburgh a lot of the time. And so um, Shesterkin, I thought, still played well, even though he necessarily maybe didn't have the the, uh, the overwhelming crazy stats uh, that, that we're used to. But he still finished, you know, very well in the series. It's kind of crazy. But um, well, that's he was benefited largely from the triple overtime game. You take the triple yeah. overtime action out of it. He was really very pedestrian. Yeah. For his so, standards. Um, so so going back to, though, my point about you asked me what I what stood out the goaltending. You know, you have Ottinger in that game seven. You know, you look at. um you know, just the difference that it made Jari comes in. What do you make of the decision? He comes in and he still gives up four, which is what Domingue gave up the day before. You know, what, how do you feel about it? Was it the right call? The wrong call? I think it's the right call. You, you know, Louis Domingue's numbers weren't very good overall at all. And um, Tristan Jari's being your guy, if he's healthy to play, um, uh, you know, it's not like he, he let in terrible goals. You're right. It was four. Um, I, I, 
I agreed with that decision. I, I think you had to go with him. He was your number one all year long. <laughs> so then you look at the difference maker in the Tampa Toronto series in game seven, it was Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, that was his best game of the series. Like I to me, I Vasilevsky, didn't you know he was gonna save it for that? Yeah. Well, he found it out in overtime of game six. That's where I thought Vasilevsky showed up was overtime in game six. And I was and I even said it on the pod, Frank. I said, watch out. The the fact that he shows up now, that could be the uh, the difference for uh, for Tampa Bay. And it turns out it was. And and the big story now, Tampa, Florida is gonna be the health of Braden Point. Yeah. You know, and, and frankly, the health of a few guys who are banged up in game sevens. Um, I have some real question marks about Leon Dreisaitl playing the start of this series in the battle of Alberta. I know that he finished it off, but um, I think there's some real question marks as to whether he's going to be healthy for the start of the series, because that is a painful, painful injury, a high ankle sprain. Oh, hundred percent. And you know what? Like he gutted it out, man. He played 22 minutes in that game. I give him uh, I give him a ton can, of credit. He said he was fine. Frank uh, after the game, which is what every player would say. I understand it. Um, although I don't understand. Say, yeah, you know, I'm a little banged up, but it's a playoff. You battle through stuff. Um, I, I think it's psychology. They don't want to ever, you know, give the opposition anything. So, um, you know, the extra day, uh, because you know, the series we thought was going to start Tuesday, now they push it back to Wednesday. So that extra day maybe helps them. But uh, high ankle sprains, as you had reported, Frank, those do not, uh, they do not heal quickly. Well, I mean, the, the truth is you can only really shoot it up so many times. That's yeah. really what it comes down to. And to do that or try and do that for another whole seven game series, I think can be really problematic. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily something you want to do. So it might make sense to say, hey, why don't you take the next week off and see if you can come back for like games, you know, four, five, six, seven, something like that. If you miss the first three, I don't, I, I'm just totally speculating on that part. He may try and grind through it. Um, I just think it's, it's incredibly painful and it's going to be tough to do. And not only that, he was good in game seven, but you could tell he was definitely at like 75%. Oh yeah. He got better as the game went on. Actually, uh, his first few strides, you could tell he, he was really laboring with it, but it, it was almost like, you know, it, it went numb uh, during the game. He didn't feel it because well, I that's felt the like pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely made <laughs> like some, literally he, he made some really good defensive plays uh, for the orders in their own zone at key times, uh, which, which was kind of impressive to me. Connor McDavid was on another level though, in that game. And I, and I think um, like you look at his domination in that series when he was on the ice and, and really like, there's a lot of, I, I'm seeing a lot of stats that are being made of oh with McDavid off the ice. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's really dry subtle in one game in game five, he got outscored three, nothing. But if you look at when dry subtle McDavid were off, off the ice, the orders are, are plus two. They outscore the opposition four to two. You do that when your two best players are off the ice, you got a really good chance to win. Their attention to detail was so much better in games six and seven. It just was their defensive zone play. They didn't make any mistakes to shoot themselves in the foot. They were clean getting back, um, you know, really hard on pucks. I, I just felt like that was the type of, it's almost like they learned that's the type of playoff effort that they needed. And if you're going to bring what you did in games four and game five, that you're going to be in trouble. You know, you can't afford to take your foot off the gas. And I think it was an important learning lesson. My question is, will they have learned? Yeah. Fair point. When it comes to the next series, because, you know, we, I, I was just playing back and thinking back, to our pre-series conversation about this on the pod, 
And you said, oh, the Oilers will handle the Kings. You know, it, you said it almost like it was going to be easy. And in that sense, I, I, I think my response was they need to not shoot themselves in the foot. They need to not yeah. make their own mistakes that cost them. It's not that the other team's bringing it to them. You, you can't afford to do that against Calgary. No, they no. will eat you alive. You could get away with it against the Kings and win a series. You can't give two games away to the Flames. Yeah, that's totally valid. Um, you know, I, th- I think Mike Smith obviously learned he had the one stick handling error, but uh, when he was in between the pipes, uh, you know, Mike Smith had a stellar, uh, a stellar. That's why I, I didn't even mention that first game. I mean, look, yeah. that that was just an unfortunate error. But game four coming out, getting shut out, it seemed like they were unprepared. Maybe had a little bit yeah. too much fun in LA after pounding the Kings fourteen to two in those two games, two and three, and then game five back at home again, chance opportunity to put yourself in a great spot and you don't do it. Well, you know what? Uh, it, it's interesting. You you look at like Calgary. Um, they were down three to two. They lost mm-hmm. that game five Edmonton. So you got both teams. I think that uh, we'll see if they learn from it. Uh, let's go to the East now, Frank, and start uh, Carolina who, uh, the, you know, the ultimate Homer series, they won all four at home. Boston won all three at home. You know, it's, it's a tight game seven, although, you know, Carolina, I felt like for long stretches carried, you know, lots of this play. And uh, now they take on a Rangers team who I, I think overall top to bottom is probably more dangerous offensively. They've got their top guys, Chris Kreider scoring, Panarin mm-hmm. just scored. Zabanajad is scoring. You know, got Adam Fox. Uh, you know, Carolina. W- what do you make of the Hurricanes in this series against the Rangers? Like, it's funny because they're obviously the favorite; they're the top seed. But I don't know. There's something about them, or do you think Carolina's also learned and they're like, hey, you know what? Uh, we we got it. They were up two nothing in that series, and it probably maybe shouldn't have ended up being a seven game series. It should have been a sweep. I, I'm not kidding. Like, I I thought for sure the way they dominated those first two games. To have that go seven, I thought was a little bit alarming, but I, I kind of chalked that up more to a team in a matchup situation that just had their number that just for whatever reason, when they were in Boston, just could not do it, could not get it together. I don't, you know, I don't know if that'll happen again, where you have such a big swing like that building to building. I'd be surprised if it does. Um, I, I like I like the hurricanes because I think the Rangers just have so much to clean up. I was not impressed. And you and I, I think we're probably in agreement um, heading into the playoffs with Pittsburgh and how they were playing. They were way better in the playoffs, but I think a lot of it was due to really how poor the Rangers had played. Like Gerard Gallant that like after game five, he called his team soft three times in the post game press conference. You know, you talk to people close to the Rangers and they were saying, have you seen our guys anywhere around Louis Domingue? Like they're not making life difficult at all. They finally did in the latter part of game game five. And in that second period flurry, when, when um, Sidney Crosby left, And after that, it was like they were off to the races, but yet still found themselves down in these holes. There's a lot of confidence with the Rangers. They're infinitely more dangerous than Boston, to your point. Um, I just, I like the Hurricanes. I think, you know, I've been saying it all year. When it comes to playoffs, the Vegas odds makers, everyone has been down on the Canes and they've really been one of the most consistent teams in the league. Yeah. 
Um, I'm picking the Rangers in, in an upset because I, I think New York might have learned a little bit from from that first round, Frank. Because I think you're bang on about uh, you know not getting the pressure that they need in front of the net. You, you need more. I'm not even calling them garbage goals. You just need more will goals. You know the will to go to the tough areas and stay there and create havoc and get rebounds and get screens and get some lucky deflections and whether it's you or off the other team because more chaos ensues when more people go to the net now. All at the same time, if you just funnel everybody to the net, well, then the pucks are getting blocked all the time. So you have to do it strategically. But um, I think that's going to be a good series. I have the uh, I yeah. have the Rangers uh, in seven. And then, of course, we have the Battle of Tampa Bay and Florida. And uh, Tampa obviously uh, had their hands full with the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll get to them in a second. But uh, who do you like? Bolts? Cats? Tampa. It's not really that I, okay, I, I need to preface this. I was going to say it's not really that close. It's an easy decision for me, I feel like. And I'm kind of surprised that the two-time defending champs are underdogs in the series and actually like somewhat sizable underdogs in the betting odds. Um, the reason for that is they're just unflappable. Like you watch, I, I think, I, I think um, when you look at that series and the way that it played out, Vasilevsky finding his form again, that team trailing at almost every point in the series, you know, they were chasing the the Leafs kind of from game one and you get to game seven in Toronto. Like they have the heart of a champion. They really do. And I just think that expertise full marks to Julian Brisebois. We talked this you know, previewing the season saying, how are they going to replace the guys they lost on the third line with Goudreau and Coleman? Um, They had to replace the entire third line and they did it. Like that, that third line was the difference in game seven. Hagel was great. Nick Paul scores two goals. Like that third line was the difference again. And they found the secret sauce and they have Vasilevsky in net. So Um, I think the Panthers for my money, they figured out a way to wade through the muck against Washington. Their comebacks were extremely impressive. I just, perhaps you could say that this is a better matchup for Florida than Washington was. I don't know how you could logically make sense of that in other than that. It might be a little bit more open, but for me, I don't, I, the Florida Panthers never really, really looked like themselves, like the juggernaut offensively. And perhaps there was no way that they could continue to, because we had said all along, will their game translate to the playoffs? Right. Yeah. To me, to me, they looked a little bit nervous at, at times. And, you know, there's lots of people talking about the pressure that first round, right? When your top teams, you hadn't won and they'd never won a series. And I think they can exhale a little bit now. Um, I like their overall depth. The reason I'm taking Florida in this series is uh, I think the health of Braden Point. It's clear that Braden Point was hurt. You saw him and he tried to gut it out. He took a stride and, you know, there's obviously something in his groin area. Now, maybe it can heal, but, you know, the, the chances of that being, you know, re-aggravating itself. And Braden Point has scored so many massive goals for the Tampa Bay Lightning over the last few years. I just, you, you lose him now, you know what? Nick Paul's got to move up or other guys. And so now that disrupts your third line. I just I think that might be too much uh, for, for them to, to overcome and that Florida. I've liked their depth all season long. 
But I think they got over the nervousness of it. Uh, I, I think that Toronto series, you know, fatigue might set in a little bit. You know, uh, uh, Florida had uh, less uh, or more rest, excuse me. So I'll take Florida. I'm sticking with the Panthers, though, because I took them at the start. So I'll, I'll stick with them. And, and I kind of thought this would be the, uh, you know, I picked Tampa and Florida to win. So uh, I'll stick with the Cats. I think By that's going to be the must-watch series of the East. Yeah, no question. Must-watch series of the East. But Florida has their own injuries. Like Aaron Eckblad stumbled through the end of that series. Uh, their defense was banged up as a whole. Um, they were missing a couple guys up front that were sort of, you know, getting treatment in and out. And Braden Point, I think just from what I saw and people I've talked to, my guess is he's fine. Um, I think it was, it looked to me like a, not to play doctor, Dr. Saravali, but it looked like a quad injury. And they examined him after that period. Remember he came out for period, yeah, the second period. Shift. Everyone was surprised to see him back, but they determined then that there was no damage, no structural damage or anything like that. So I think there's something going on in that quad area, not a groin not that yet. you may be able to actually get some treatment on that would open the door to having him be a participant. So yeah. I, I, I full marks to you for sticking with your, Preseason, preseason, by the way, pick to beat the Lightning. Yeah, got to go with it, man. Now, St. Louis and Colorado. And uh, Colorado, of course, uh, swept Nashville. They swept the Blues last year. And I know that's a completely different year, but, you know, there's lots of same players on both of those teams. And, you know, Kale McCarr, you know, 10 points in four games. He was unreal in the first round. Nathan McKinnon obviously goes nuclear uh, in, in the playoffs. He's one of the rare elite guys who elevates his game even higher. Um, I, I, you know, St. Louis, um, their defense slowly got a little bit healthy, Frank. They, they get a little bit extra rest, too. You know, I think that helps them. But I just it's hard for me to pick against Colorado right now. I just they, they got they got more elite talent uh, in this series. And I think they got more overall depth. Uh, in this series, Darcy Camper avoided avoided a very scary situation when he got the the stick mm-hmm. through the uh, the mask and didn't have any serious damage. Um, I like the uh, I like the Abs. I think the Blues give them a, a run, but it's the Abs and six for me. I agree. Um, I don't. I could even see it being shorter than that. I just wonder about the start of the series for Colorado. They've had a week off, and I know the way that they ran through Nashville. You say, okay, so what? But I think it matters. Um, when everyone else is in the groove and playing every other day and high level hockey, I just think taking that week off sometimes sets you back. It hurts you more than you think, not to say you don't ever want to get done and get healthier um, and advance. But for me, I think that looms large and Colorado otherwise is just, well, there's no advantage for St. Louis in any spot. And then you factor in the potential health issues on the blues blue line and you go, okay, that could be really problematic. Yeah, no, the, I I will say this about the Blues, though, man. They they grind. They they've got a lot of experience in, in key games. Rarely do they beat themselves, and and I think that's that's obviously they're going to have to play exceptionally disciplined. Uh, you don't want to give them too many power plays, and uh, you just can't beat yourself when you're playing Colorado. You got to force them to beat you, and see what happens. But uh, the Blues, I think their experience will keep a close rank, but it's just. Colorado's just got so much talent, man. It's hard to uh, to pick. And now we go to the Battle of Alberta for the first time in 31 years. You mentioned the uh, the health of Leon Dreisler, which I think is a massive factor in, in this series, Frank. I really do. And um, 
you know, that that's that's the main reason why I will uh, I will go with the Calgary Flames in seven. I think this is seven games. Thirty one years later, they were seven games in, in Calgary. Uh, and scored the overtime winner uh, after the Flames almost blew a three nothing lead. And uh, I just like Connor McDavid is going to get them to game seven uh, and maybe he'll win. Like if Edmonton wins, I won't be shocked by all. Like I don't think Calgary's an overwhelming favorite in my eyes, but the health of Leon Dreisaitl, the other factor here is um, you talked about Florida. Edmonton's going to have to go to the net more and create more traffic in front of the net. Because mm-hmm. when you look the difference between LA and Edmonton in game seven, like Edmonton dominated territorially, but how many times did they have the puck? They're taking point shots and there's no traffic in front. They've got to have more guys willing to funnel to the front of the net. And it's going to be a lot harder against a much bigger Calgary defense than a smaller inexperienced LA defense. I agree. Totally. I'm going to take the Oilers in seven. I, I think this series is going deep no matter what. I don't think there's a ton that separates them. Um, we talked about Edmonton's hiccups and miscues. I, I just Calgary wasn't nearly as impressive to me in the first round as Edmonton I was expecting them to be. Yeah. yeah. And that, and for me, it's really just the McDavid factor. If it comes yeah. down to one game, Connor McDavid's not losing. Okay. That's fair. That's what we learned yeah. in game seven last time. Yeah, no, he dominated. There's no question. I, um, By the way, can like, with all due respect to Austin Matthews, like, ha, can we put an end to the MVP debate? Like, I know that the playoffs aren't included. I don't know how you could watch those two series and say that he's Connor McDavid's not the most valuable player. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but keep in mind, it's only based on the regular season, right? So it, it is different. Um, uh, I think a 60 goal season is what a lot of people will focus on. Frank, I'll be honest. I'm surprised Shesterkin was a finalist. He wasn't even on my top five ballot. He was not in my top five either. Yeah, he didn't. To me, to, when a goalie's in there, a goalie's got to play a significant amount of games. And, and and he didn't. It's not a knock on him. He's he's the runaway Vesna winner, no question. So I'll, He played I'm 53 very, and... Yeah. The reason I didn't have him on is he had a nine game stretch with an eight something save percentage, eight ninety three, eight eighty nine, something like that. It was in that range. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. And that's, you know, almost 20 percent of his season. Yeah, you can't. And that was nine games in a total nine game chunk at the hardest time of the year to win. It was like. March 10th to April 3rd or 13th or something like that, where it was a significant run of subpar goaltending. And I just think goaltenders have their own award. If you're really talking, I've made this point here before. If you're really talking heart trophy and most valuable to his team, your ballot would be five goalies every year, pretty much. That's how valuable goalies are. So you have to be truly, truly exceptional in my eyes to get there. Some people would point to his underlying numbers and all that and say, well, the Rangers aren't close without him. Maybe that's the case. But when you have almost 20% of your season, that's below league average. That doesn't meet the bar for me. Yeah. So that only leaves half of the season left that he played, right? Like that to me, was the big numbers. Like when Dominic Hasek won, he played in 72 games. He played in 69 games. Like it's, it's a big difference than, than 53. Like you can have, you have zero impact when you're not playing, right? When you're not dressed, even if you only play not on only, but you play 20 minutes at a forward, you can impact every game, right? You mm-hmm. just can't. So that, that was my reason for it. I'm surprised Roman Yossi wasn't there. He's obviously a finalist for the Ted Lindsay. Um, I'm going to go on a limb, Frank. This is my prediction for the awards. I think McDavid's going to win the Lindsay and Matthews is going to win the heart. That's what I think is going to happen. Because technically the wording's different, right? And so that's what I think will happen. But Possible. I could easily be wrong. 
I, I, yeah, I think Matthews wins the heart and the Lindsay, but that's just, you think he wins both. I think so. Okay. We'll see. Well, very possible. Like, Hey, I didn't under, you know, 60 goals is, is still 60 goals. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty rare. I just had a league executive call me after the game, the leaf game on Saturday night and just said, you were right. Yeah. Like no Mc- offense to Austin Matthews, but that, you know, well, McDavid's McDavid's a better player. And, and I think last year, um, well, we get caught up in the number. What is that? Like Steven Stamko scored 62, right? Yeah. He didn't win the heart that year. What, what does the number mean? I, I don't, did, I don't understand the, why scoring 60 gets you. Did Tampa make the playoffs though? They did. Think, they did. I think so. Oh, I thought that was the year him and St. Louis finished like first and second or something and missed the playoffs. I'll just double check real quick. But when you look at that year, he finished second for the heart. That's um, it's 2011, 12. I'm pretty sure they made the playoffs. Oh, maybe they did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they did not. You're right. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Boucher was their coach. They finished. It it was an 84 point season. Not awful, but third in their division, the Southeast. I think that's, I think that's why, because my argument is if you're not a playoff team, even if you're off the playoff team, your value is the same. You're still not a playoff team. Well, that's how McDavid lost the heart too. Yeah. So um, it'll be, uh, it'll be fascinating, but McDavid, there's no question. He's the best. Like people have to sometimes it's a single season award. It doesn't mean that that person's the best player in the league. It just means for that one year, he might've been uh, a little bit better, but I don't think there's any, I think the argument ended a few years ago, McDavid versus Matthews and no offense to Matthews. If people want to say Matthews is a better goal scorer, hundred percent. I could agree with that, but that's one element of the game. It's not the, the entire game. And, you know, quickly, Frank, before we get to uh, uh, Tyler Remchuk, we also have Jim Rutherford coming up, the uh, G, uh, the president of the uh, Vancouver Canucks. But the Toronto Maple Leafs, I know I saw that. Oh, they just got to stick with it. No, they don't. I'm sorry. You, if you don't make a significant change to one of your core guys, it's going to repeat itself because I just and I've argued this with Toronto and I don't blame I don't blame the players. But I never felt Toronto was built to win because they built from the front back and um, they got better on their blue line. Frank still don't think they got good enough. And so to me, you've got to try to find a way if you're Kyle Dubas, you're going to have to move one. of your, You're obviously not moving Matthews or, or, or Marner, but probably William Nylander, you know, maybe John Tavares, although I think that'd be extremely difficult to do. You, you've got to find a way, package some forwards and improve your defense. Point blank for me. What do you think they need to do? I think you're dead wrong. I don't think they, I don't, I think you run it back again. Really? All right. You had one of the best teams in the league in the regular season. You gave the two time defending champs, everything they could handle right until the final whistle. You had opportunities where, you know, if you look back on the series, wasn't the game six lead that they blew in the third period in Tampa where they really screwed up the series and lost was not taking a three to one series lead in game four. Yeah. Well, but that's kind of being their MO, Frank. To me, there's something but that doesn't what at there's nothing time. Yeah. The, are they not the first team like NBA and uh, MLB, NHL to lose five consecutive elimination games, right? Like games uh, uh, five or seven, because obviously it was a five game series against Columbus. Like to me, there's just something that and it's not a knock on they've lost, one individual. Yeah, they've lost nine in a row in the Matthews and Marner era opportunities to move on. Yeah. And, they've lost nine in a row. So um, I just don't see it that way. Like I think of all the teams that had some incredible heartbreak that finally just 
a year you're not expecting them to, they break through. Look at the caps. How, like they, how many outstanding, unbelievable teams did they have from 2009 till 2017, where you go the same core also built from the front out to your point with mm-hmm. Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom that win in 2018. I mean, yeah, but they, how good they, were some of those to the second team? round, like five times? What over, does right? it matter? So it, it, this, this actually drives me crazy. And I was going to bring it up earlier when you said it, the pressure's off after the first round, that may be the case. I don't understand all the people that are, are hooting and hollering about the Leafs. They were still three rounds away. Even if they won winning one round, doesn't mean shit. Well, I think it's psychologically for your group. Maybe you, you, you feel more confident that you're like, Hey, we can win when it matters. And right now that was not what was missing in game seven. Toronto can't win. That's that. Do you, do you honestly watch that game or watch game six and say, that's the reason they fell apart is because they, they can't. Well, okay. I'll ask you this, Frank, Nick Paul. Now, granted new guy, somebody in Tampa elevates and grabs it and they win. Who is elevated is, in a key what, game for Toronto? It's there. It's, it's just those games. I don't believe there's any system. If we had another series where Mitch Marner didn't do anything again, or Austin Matthews really struggled, or, you know, even some of the other guys that we've been critical of Nylander was, was great in key moments. Uh, John Tavares stepped his game up in the latter half of the series. Like Jack Campbell was fine. I think you have to take a long look at the goaltending this summer. I think if you're looking at it, um, Jack Campbell, it may end up working out because he's going to cost less than he would have previously. I'm okay with keeping him. Like he, he was, he gave them exactly what they needed, which was a chance to win. He wasn't, he wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. Look at the free agent market. Who else is out there? Billy Huso is going to be expensive. There's no one out there unless you're trading for someone that you believe can put you over the top. I don't see it. Um, I think you bring the exact group back. You bring the coach back. You bring the GM back. You bring everyone back. I don't think you make changes just for the sake of making changes. Well, I wouldn't do that either. But to me, I look, I don't, do they have enough grit in their top nine? When Tampa lost, they went on and changed. Like you've got to, you've got to add some, they're missing an element. You can't say every year, wow, we're close. Yeah, you're you're close, but that's the difference between winning and losing sometimes. I, I don't think it was the grit that fell them against Tampa. No. I really don't. I'm sorry. Okay. Like, yeah, well, I, I, I think just, they went toe-to-toe with one of the toughest teams in the league to play against and did it for seven straight games up until the final buzzer in a one-goal game seven. Yeah, but they couldn't beat a goalie who going into game seven had a sub-8-9. Who has beaten him? Who seriously look, look back in the last three years. Who's beaten Andre Vasilevsky. The answer is no one. Would you say any of the other teams, but has he ever had an eight ninety save percentage? But what did he have in game game? seven? I know. That's what I said up until game seven. So you said you agreed with me earlier. Like they didn't win the games that they should have won. And that ultimately cost them. You can't give Tampa extra life because they will eventually come back. Correct. But I also just, if we think Tampa's that good, then that also means the inverse that the Leafs aren't that far yeah. away. Well, what if Florida beats Tampa? <laughs>
<laughs> we'll see. So let's just, for everyone listening, since we were kind of all over the place, let's just give our four picks for the series and in, in how many games. I got uh, Florida in six, Carolina in seven, Colorado six, Calgary seven. Okay. I got in reverse order. I got the Oilers in seven, the abs in six, the hurricanes in six and the lightning in six. Okay, so so our East different. is totally flip-flopped. Yeah, we got two different. I like it. Let's uh, bring in uh, Tyler, your Ramchuk. Yes, another edition of Buy or Sell coming up here, delivered by our friends at DoorDash. 45% off and no delivery fees with your promo code RUNDOWNDD. Uh, my first question, the Leafs should be patient and not blow it up. Actually, we'll skip that because you guys ruined it. Connor McDavid was the MVP of the first round of the playoffs. Buy or sell, Frank? Bye. Um, I would say Jake Ottinger in a losing effort would give him a run for the money, as would Carter Verhage. But Connor McDavid led the postseason in points through round one. And it was also the manner in which he did it. Uh, I will buy that. Yeah, it's it's hard to argue that. Had had Dallas won though, you could have made you could have made a really strong argument for Jake Ottinger to to surpass it. And then you would have had Ottinger versus McDavid in round two because Jake Ottinger was unbelievable. For you, it has to be Ottinger if they yeah. won, right? Like yeah. honestly, I I I could make the argument even though they lost that he still should get it. How about yeah. this number from Mike Kelly of the NHL Network? Goals saved above expected in round one. Ottinger twelve point six. Second place was Markstrom five point seven. Ottinger saved like seven more goals than any other goalie. In the NHL, that's unbelievable. Seven, seven more goals, and by the way, uh, his ex, his goals uh, saved over expected. Like it was some entire deep playoff runs for some goalies that he did in one round. It's insane! Yeah. No, it was on. It was amazing. All right, the team that lost in round one that will make the most changes this summer is Pittsburgh. Buy or sell, Jason? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um. I'm going to sell and I'm going to go with the Dallas stars. Cause I think they're bringing in a new coaching staff. And I think they're going to bring in a few new players and, and uh, change a, a few tweaks. Uh, I think they'll stick obviously their goaltender and the defense are good, but uh, I'll go with the Dallas stars. Cause I think changes are coming there. Frank, I will sell as well. I think the penguins are going to try to find a way to re-sign at least one of those guys. Although you can make the argument it's time to move on for all of them. I'm going to go with the Boston Bruins. Don Sweeney has not been talked about much. This, this was the final year of his deal. To my knowledge, he does not have an extension. Bruce Cassidy has one more year, I think. Will he come back? Will Patrice Bergeron retire? I just feel like in a lot of ways, as much as we were talking about an end of an era in Pittsburgh, I think it's, it really could be one in Boston. Interesting. All right. The third question I got for you is our points bet bonus question. Shout out to points by Canada live now in Ontario. Uh, you guys each had two game sevens picked right in your series picks. Yeah. I yeah. got Boston and seven. They didn't win though. Uh, I meant for round two, the picks coming up. You guys each had. Oh yeah. Two. Yeah. I have two. Um, so I want your take though. What series is most likely to go seven, Frank? You had to put money on it. Which one would you pick? Battle of Alberta. Battle of Alberta. All right. The payout there on points by Canada plus 210 on that series going seven games, regardless of who wins. Jason? I would take Carolina, New York. Carolina, New York pays out a very nice uh, plus 200 to go seven games. So there you go. That's going to be a wrap on another edition of Buy or Sell delivered by DoorDash. 
feels like that plus 200 or plus 210 is not enough. It's not say that it goes seven. Yeah, it's true. Especially because you just had five, like in, in 1992, when there were six game sevens in the first round, there was none the rest of the way. So that's a lot of game sevens already. So maybe that's what they're going by. Who knows? But it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating. I look forward to it. Uh, Frank, one team that's uh, not in, but uh, we will be discussing because uh, speaking of a, a busy offseason. The Vancouver Canucks and uh, our big guest today is their uh, president of hockey operations. That's right, Jason. Our next guest is a 2019 inductee to the Hockey Hall of Fame in the builder category. He is a former NHL goaltender and he is a three time Stanley Cup champion leading the Carolina Hurricanes and the Pittsburgh Penguins to Stanley Cups. He is currently the president of hockey operations for the Vancouver Canucks. The DFO rundown is pleased to welcome Jim Rutherford. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. It's good good to be with you today. So, Jim, you you know what? You, you obviously have a history of a lot of success, and and you built teams in, in different fashions. Uh, you know, you've been patient sometimes, and then uh, uh, from a media standpoint, I love it. Jim Rutherford trades more than anyone. It's a, so you're willing to to make deals when you have to. When you come in now, and you, you know, you talk about the coach's contract, even yourselves. How long do, do you find it takes to really get a sense of what your organization has, and and what and how you can maybe implement that moving forward? Well, you like to know what's going on in a short period of time. Maybe you usually say, you know, give me a month or two. But I think we have a real good understanding now of where we're at with with the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, it's what I said from the start. We have to unravel some of these contracts here to get more cap space to to try to make some changes going forward. We still have some work to do on that. Now we're getting into the season once the Stanley Cup's awarded that there'll be a lot more movement, a lot more interest in what teams are trying to do to change their teams. Uh, we're, we're presently in the middle of having our amateur and pro scouting. So we're, we're getting the, everybody's uh, opinion on what they think of players and where they think we can get better. So I, I would say at this point in time, after being here five, six months, um, along with the changes in the front office, that we have a pretty good handle on what we'd like to do. So, Jim, you look at your team, um, you know, you, you, you've got a really sound goaltender in, in Demko. You, you you know, you got Quinn Hughes is obviously a dynamic uh, defenseman. You've you got Pedersen and lot, Horvat, lots of young skill guys. When you look at the construction of your team, do you just feel it's a little bit of tweaking? You mentioned the salary cap, or is there one area that you really feel as an organization you need to improve for next season? Well, I, I think not just for next season, but in the long run, you know, we don't have really any young right shot defensemen. We don't have any young center icemen coming. Those will be some of the things that we'll focus on here, whether we can do it this off season or it takes another year or two, but that that's one priority we have. We have to, uh, we have to put together a team for next year where we have more balance and more depth, more balance throughout our forwards, throughout our, our defense pairings. So the minutes can be shared a little bit better and give these guys, you know, a better chance to perform at almost a hundred percent every game. So, Jim, when you're looking for that balance and depth, where do you anticipate trying to find it? Is it 
is it more of a free agent thing or is that, a, is that something that you accomplish by trade acquisitions? It'll be both. Um, if we have the room to do it, you know, the first step is going to be, you know, is there anything we can do here to free up some cap space to, to be part of the off season game that everybody gets into. And, uh, uh, you know, with, with the cap and with teams that, that are all have been all in here to win a cup. There's teams that are going to have to get rid of players, you know, just to be cap compliant. And we would like to be in a position that we're at least in that conversation with those teams that we can make a deal. But if we can't clear up cap space, then we're not going to be able to be in it. It's hard to do that and create that cap flexibility. Do you have a target in mind of an idea of how much you'd like to shed in order to get to where you want to get to? Well, we can't shed too much. We're a non-playoff team. So uh, we don't want to take too much away from what we already have here. We we would like to, to get younger in the sense that, you know, get guys maybe 26 years old or younger that we can bring that team together within the next couple of years. We've got, we've got some very good young players, as you pointed out here a couple of minutes ago. And so we, we certainly got a group of players that we can work with here. Um, but I'm not going to say we're just going to limit the players that we add to the 26 year olds and younger, you know, if, if the right deal comes along for somebody that's, that's older, that's a veteran player that can have an impact on our team, then uh, we'll also look at that. Jim, you mentioned you weren't a playoff team, but if you look at your record since Bruce came in and you came in, you know, the Canucks were infinitely more competitive, right? I know you can't talk about what happened prior to you, but when you're doing your evaluation, your analysis, um, how much of that time, like, can you, can you pick a certain point of the season and say, that's what I'm, that's maybe more of a reflection of our team rather than what happened in the first two months where you just dug a hole as an organization? Well, no, I don't think you can. Like, our team, Bruce, Bruce did a terrific job and he, he was, he was the ideal guy at the right time because he, he come in, he, he's a, he's a player's coach. He motivates guys and he got the most out of most of the players. And, and so that part was good. We are very fortunate. We have a, a, a franchise goalie. I mean, Demko is, is, is a terrific goalie. He wins a lot of games for us and you need that goalie to be a contending team. I want to see us get to a point where we don't have to lean on him as as much and as many games to win those games. So that, that gets more to the point of getting a little more structure in our game. And and getting that structure where it makes it easier for the players to play game in and game out, and uh, and Bruce is capable of doing that. Um, like I said, he did a terrific job. He does a lot of good things with the players, and uh, we have to see what we can do to help that situation, help the coaching staff uh, get to that point where we can win on a consistent basis. Jim, you have a reputation of of being you know, a very fair and, and really looking at the human side of things from people that I've talked to uh, over the years that, that interact with you. And, you know, Brock Besser, when the season was over, spoke very openly. You could sense the emotion and just how difficult the season has been for him because of his father. Um, when, when you when you evaluate your players, how much 
does the human element that, and, and you know, and, and Brock was very public about that, but I'm sure there's things you know about other players that maybe doesn't get public. How much of that comes into the evaluation for you when you look at your team moving forward and the type of personalities and skill set you want? Well, it's part of it. And uh, we can never control in life what issues, different issues that uh, different people have to deal with. And unfortunately for Brock, he's, he's dealing with this with his father and, uh, and it's tough and it affected his play. And we were aware of it all along. You know, I've had conversations with Ben Hankinson and, and, uh, you know, we've talked about what he's dealing with. So, you know, with that being said, he was capable of having a better year than he had, but he still had 23 goals and, uh, and he's a good player. So, Certainly, uh, we feel for Brock, and uh, when we evaluate him, that's uh, that will be part of uh, the evaluation. It seems like those talks or conversations with Ben will continue as you try and get a deal done with Brock. Um, is there a chance, you know, I think there's been lots talked about, you know, do you go long-term, do you go short-term? Is there a chance maybe that you just issue a qualifying offer and, and that ends up, you know, sort of taking care of it? Yeah, there's that possibility. I mean, that 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 will be step one um, and we can fit his qualifying offer in next year. It's not like we're squeezed that we can't fit this seven point five million in on a one year deal. It it would seem to me that it would make sense with him being as young as he is at twenty five, you know, to do have a deal with a little bit of term on it. But maybe not that that big long term deal, because, you know, if he did a whatever, a two, three year deal. He's, he's still pretty young to get his long-term deal. So, but we'll, we'll get into that at some point in time. I'm, I'm sure they're getting, uh, Brock and his agent are, are getting prepared for what they think makes sense. And, uh, same for the Canucks. It's funny because I, you know, asking about the qualifying offer, I think a lot of teams and probably agents as well are afraid of it, but Sometimes it can actually work out pretty well. You saw Patrick Line and the Columbus Blue Jackets last summer. They did the same thing. One year qualifying offer accepted. And now they're in the process of talking about what that means moving forward. Um, is it is it the worst thing if you end up doing that? I don't think so. No. I mean, from from our point of view, he's still team controlled following that. So um we're we're pretty open to anything at this point in time. Gotcha. And um, also on your docket, among the other things, you know, we're talking about building out your big salary cap picture and what it looks like for the next number of years. You mentioned trying to clear some space to be more active. At the same time, you also have to consider JT Miller and the possibility of an extension. Have you begun any talks on that front yet? Well, Patrick uh, and, and Emily, they, they work on the contracts. Um, I, I do believe that Patrick's had a couple of conversations um, with agents and kind of laying the groundwork. And then Emily will take it over and negotiate the contracts from there. Um, but I would suspect by the time we get to the draft, we'll, we'll know where we're at on those situations. Jim, the uh, Elias Pettersson, you, you look at, at his last few seasons, probably not as consistent as you would like. You've you evaluated, seen lots of young players. What do you see in Pettersson's game? What What is, you know, is this what he is? And, and if he's going to go to the next level, how does he get there? 
way he played in the second half is what he is. He's a terrific player. You know, he's a, he, he's a star player in this league. And what you have to look at this year is he missed training camp. He had an injury that he had to deal with for at least the first half of the season. And to his credit, he got his game on track in the second half. And what everybody saw in the second half is what he is. If we can get a consistent couple of players to play with him, uh, whether he's on the wing or at center, uh, it's going to make it a lot better for him. And that's what we're trying to work towards, that we get more balance, more depth in our organization, where we can actually get lines put together that they can stay together uh, for long periods of time. When you look at, at lines nowadays in the NHL, there, you know, there's there's obviously a few cases where there's trios, but there's lots of duos, it seems now more than ever. And, you know, ideally, the best teams have had three duos. And, you know, they, you look at Tampa Bay and, and you've obviously built cup contending teams, Jim. What about the importance of just kind of like those sandpaper guys that can be a hard line to play against? Do you have enough of that in Vancouver? No, we don't. We don't. And I agree with you. You. Teams that are putting their lines together usually keep two guys together most of the time. We did that in Pittsburgh. It's what we're trying to get to here. But no, we don't have enough sandpaper. And uh, uh, certainly with being in the East as long as I've been and just following the West on TV and in the Stanley Cup finals and whatnot, um, being here firsthand, there's a difference in play. And you can see the games are heavier games and, and whatnot. Now, some teams are changing. You can see L.A. where they've started to move away from the heavier team to the quicker and more skilled teams. And a few other teams are doing that. But still, it's a different game in the West. And, and we, have to, we have to change that. We have to get some guys, not a lot of guys, but a few guys that are a little bit heavier, play with some sandpaper. Do you think um, when you look at the West right now, like when you built your teams, Jim, did, did you look to compete more in your conference and division first? And if so, did you look at teams like automatically in the Pacific or do you even say, hey, we got to match up so we can beat Colorado, who looks like, you know, they're going to be one of the top dogs for the next few years? No, we build teams that are capable of beating and playing in any style of game and beating any kind of team. You start building your team to compete with one or two teams. You may not have to worry about that team. I remember in 06 when we won the cup in uh, Carolina, our biggest fear was Detroit and Ottawa because we didn't match up uh, that good against those teams. And we, you know, we felt really good about the hurricanes that year. We felt we had a chance to win the cup, but, it was going to be difficult getting by Ottawa or Detroit. Well, as luck would have it, somebody else beat them out. We never had to play them. So that's why that's why you stay away from, you know, identifying one or two teams that, that you think that you have to beat at some point in time because you may never play them. Historically, Jim, the West has always seemingly been a little bit heavier. Do you have any sense of why that is the case? Why the game is a little different in each of the two conferences? Well, they've had success with it. I mean, when you go back to LA's cup teams, you know, though they were they were heavy teams and they won cups. And and usually when that happens, uh teams follow. And uh but I really feel there's more than one way to win a Stanley Cup. I don't think it has to be just a team built the way that the 
the prior team that won the Stanley Cup or some team that won it three or four years ago. Um, you have to build your team in a way that is capable of playing all styles of hockey, regardless what team you match up against. I mentioned off the top and made the mistake calling you the Canucks GM, but I've only really ever thought of you as GM. How different has this role uh, been for you in Vancouver? Uh, Has it taken you any time to sort of get used to the dichotomy of the way it's structured and obviously bringing in Patrick, someone you admired in Pittsburgh and then filling out the rest of the staff? No, it hasn't taken me long. I'm at, I'm at this point in my career that this is a good role for me. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I'm really proud of the group that we put together here. Now we've had a number of months here to work together and, uh, everybody's taken on their role. Very serious. We have great communication. Everybody works hard. We've got different ideas, different voices. That was what I talked about before hiring these people. And, uh, I, I really like our group a lot. Jim, do you feel, um, as, as much as you're doing the job, how much mentoring is going on for you right now in your role? Well, I've always hired people and let them do their job and uh, give them direction. And here, here's where we want to get to. And and uh, everybody's got to do your job. Basically, what I do is I'm around. And if, if anybody wants to come and talk to me and, you know, bounce things off me, I'm going to do that. I'll stop in each person's office uh, maybe every other day or sometimes every day just to sit and talk and, and let them bring things up. But I have to let them do their jobs. These are very capable people. And, uh, you know, with my experience, I've probably seen a few more things than some of these people. And if they need my help, I'm going to give it. Otherwise, they're capable of doing what they've been assigned to do. When you joined the Whalers, I think it was in 1994, if I'm not mistaken, who, who helped you? Like, who did you learn from? Who is, who is the person who maybe just gave you the, the, the best opportunity to show your skills in management? Yeah. You know, when I was a, a manager in uh, the OHL, it's really where I learned a lot and asked a lot of questions. And, uh, you know, some of the people that I really admired was Bill Torrey and Scotty Bowman and uh, Lou Lamorello. And these are people that, you know, that I just followed. What what would they do in this situation? But when I went to Hartford, I didn't have someone with a lot of experience there that, that, that was working in the organization. I just uh, built off the experience I had in the Ontario Hockey League. And, and I would call these people periodically and say, what would you do in this situation? Jim, has it been any different for you working in Canada? <laughs> I would say so. I think I think everybody knows that answer. Um, you know, I've I've absolutely really enjoyed, loved where I've worked in the past, and and was and looked forward to the opportunity to work with the Canadian team. But as you know, um, because you're one of these people. Um, <laughs> The Canadian teams are are under a, more of a microscope, and and for me, I think it's great because of the love of hockey in Canada. Everybody eats, breathes, sleeps hockey, and uh, I'm in a market here in Vancouver and the province of British Columbia where people love the Canucks, and uh, 
and it's it's a great feeling. Jim, uh, you were one of the few goaltenders who was drafted in the top 10 historically. It just doesn't happen very often. Where where do you come out on on, on drafting? Because there seems to be a little bit of change. Some people feel like, you know what, uh, uh, some teams hesitate on goaltenders. You obviously, uh, you know, you, you look at, at how it goes. I'm sure that you can't just pigeonhole and say, well, I would never do it. Obviously, we've seen guys like Carey Price and Fleury and, and guys go high. But you're, you played the position. How hard is it to evaluate goaltenders? tenders in the draft and uh, is is it worth is that why it's so risky just because it's such a harder position where it seems to be a later developing spot yeah it's a hard position to to take these players when they're young I drafted a, a Jaguar in the first round and uh, um, and then uh, I think it was my last draft in Pittsburgh where we didn't have a first pick and we wanted to draft a goalie and we drafted two, one in the second round, one in the third round, because they were the best players that were at that point in the draft. And we viewed them as assets, which it turned out they were, where Pittsburgh traded one of those goalies to Anaheim in, uh, in the Raquel deal. So I just think that it doesn't matter what position you're looking at, whether it's a goalie, defenseman or a forward. If you like a player enough, you should take them. You should not hesitate to take that player in the first round. Now, in Vancouver's case this year, uh, with not a lot of players coming in the pipeline, and we have to try to build that up, and we have uh, some good goalies in the organization, it wouldn't make sense for us to take a goalie in the first round. But certainly as the draft goes along, if we really like a goalie, um, we we could end up taking a goalie. We're fortunate to have Ian Clark. Um, in charge of our goaltending within our organization. And uh, he does a terrific job doing the background checks on these guys and, and uh, laying it out to the scouting staff and the, and the general manager as the potential of these goalies. Ian Jim, Clark, you've, one of the very best in the league. Uh, Jim, do you pay special attention still to the position? Like I, I just remember offhand having a conversation with you a number of years back, sort of as you know, the Penguins were winning that first cup there when you were with them. And, uh, you know, I'd said something while well, like, wow, you know, Matt Murray really looks great. And you had said, Hey, look out for this Tristan Jari kid. He's going to be really good. Um, do you, is that just something being a former goaltender that you pay special attention to? Yeah, it, it comes natural, you know? Um, and you know, I love, I love watching the new goalies. I love watching these guys that are coming up and doing so well. It's interesting about goaltending though, how, how it has evolved and how they play different in different eras. And, uh, of course, the big equipment has changed a lot of that, the bigger goalie and the bigger equipment. And uh, and now things have even changed here in the last year or two where, where the forwards have caught on to where the goalies are taking up so much of the net and now they're getting them to move laterally and, and moving that puck across where guys have, have half the net to shoot at. So everything's changing. But one of the things I don't like about the present goalies and uh, – I know I've had some of the experts explain this to me. I'm not sure (laughs) I buy it, but, you know, they're playing with that arm tucked inside the post all the time. And, uh, and I just see so many shorthanded or short side goals go in now and leaking through that short side. I just think it's better having the arm outside the post, but only my opinion. 
Mm, I like that. Um, speaking of goaltenders and Jim, do you need a backup for Demko that you can play a little bit more? So he rests. Is that ideal or are you fine with it? You know, a starter playing 60 plus. Well, we had a backup this year that was capable of playing in a, in a Halak. And, uh, the problem that you have, if, if you were the coach or I was down there making the decision, you got a guy like Demko and you're sitting there thinking, who am I going to play? And we got to win, win this game. You're, you're, it's, it's just natural. You're going to go to your guy that you have so much trust in. But Halak was very capable. He could have played more games this year. Um, and we believe in Mark. The guy that, that come up and played some games this year, he played really well. Uh, we gave him a two-year uh, two deal on, on, on a one-way contract. So we believe in him. And, and I give Martin a lot of credit. He's worked hard to get here, and now, and now he's here. So I would hope that uh, we can space the games out a little bit more for Demko, and, and he can feel just as strong when we're going down the stretch next year as he does when he comes into camp. Jim, last question. We know that you need to run. Um, you know, one of the big things, you know, sort of getting to know you over the last number of years, you don't talk to Jim Rutherford on game days. <laughs> Where did that come from? Is it a superstition or is, are you just in the zone on game days? I always meant to ask you. Well, I'm trying to change some of my bad habits. So you can't talk to me on game days now, but uh, that was uh, that was a superstition going back to my playing days. Uh, we were playing in a series the year that Montreal had the great year in the mid seventies where they only lost one playoff game. And, and I think only eight or 10 in the regular season, but we won the first game in Montreal. I played that game. Ron Lowe played the next game. We come back to Detroit. It's one, one, of course, the fans are all excited and everything. And I'm coming into the game with my family. You know, we're we're walking in, talking la-di-da like we're going to a family picnic. And here I am a few hours away from playing a huge Stanley Cup playoff game. And we got beat 8 nothing that game. And I was so upset about it and so upset at myself because I didn't keep the right focus on that game. And uh, so I just gradually, that's the way it was when I played. And then, you know, when I get into more pressure situations as a GM and Windsor and in the NHL, it, it just became a bad habit. But just so you know, Frank, you can call me any day you want now. <laughs> yeah, duly noted. Thank you, Jim. Awesome. Jim, uh, we always like to wrap up with a little fun uh, called rapid fire. A few questions. Uh, the only rule is that uh, you have to answer the question. So uh, we'll uh, we'll get to it uh, right away. Uh, Jim Rutherford, now you've had a lot of reasons to celebrate. Um, what is your uh, cocktail of choice when you're celebrating, whether alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Uh, just a beer. Just a beer. Okay. Classic. Um, Jim, if, if you were going to give one word of advice for young scouts, what do you need to do to be a good scout? You need to work at it. See as many games as you can. Don't leave the game early and uh, focus on that whole 60 minutes of that game. Which GM did you enjoy making trades with the most? <sighs> I don't know. There's so many. I don't know. I mean, the the trade that I and Frank's uh, going to remember this, of course, it was with the Flyers. 
but the trade that that uh, probably worked out the best of uh, of a lot of trades. Well, there's a few tied in there, but um, was the trade uh, Danny Markoff to the Flyers uh, for Justin Williams, and the Flyers had three defensemen injured at that time, and they were in desperate need for a defenseman. He was older than Williams, and so getting that young player that helped. Uh, Carolina win a cup, but also the Brindamore trade was pretty good and the Kessel trade was pretty good, but um, those are a few. Jim, uh, which agent have you enjoyed negotiating with the most? Oh, I enjoy all of them. I, 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 don't, I, you know, it's funny, like some of these situations are tougher and People say, you know, who irritates you and this and that. I uh, I enjoy them. You know, it's 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 the same as the media. You know, the media have a job to do and whatnot. But I I don't I don't have any issues with these different people in the game. It's part of the game, and and uh, the better you get along with them, the better your life goes. And uh, lastly, Jim, uh, who? Who was the the funniest player that you is Mark Andre Fleury the funniest guy you've had around or is there anyone else? <laughs> well, the flower he's uh, he's right up there. I mean he's 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 one of the the greatest guys in the game that I that I've ever met. Yeah, he he's a funny guy. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are are great for a team that have great humor. Um, it's good to have one or two on each team. So we'll just go with flower for now. Did he ever prank you? He did not. No, (laughs) smart man, Jim. Thanks so much for this. We appreciate it. Enjoy your off season. Okay. Thanks guys. Enjoy. Thank you, Jim. That's Jim Rutherford. He basically outlined it. Frank He's going to be making some moves. It's just going to be a matter of who's moving. Well, and really how much he can move. That's really the key is how much salary cap space he can afford to pile onto someone else's plate. Now, I think the Canucks are in a great spot. The reason for that is they've got all of the positional pillars covered. Demko and Nett, as you mentioned, Quinn Hughes on the back end. You've got Pedersen up front, who really seemed to show himself well in the last half of the season. Uh, You've got your leader in Bo Horvat. You've got an unbelievable driver in JT Miller. And the reason why I say the Canucks are in good shape is if there's one thing you can point to with Jim Rutherford and his track record, it's that he has found a way to go out and get complimentary pieces. That's the hardest thing to do. I think in sports, it's one thing to build. And I think when you look at those pillars, I don't, you know, Jim Benning got slagged a lot. And there were a lot of mistakes that were made, but they have the foundational pieces in place to be competitive and successful. And now you look at what Rutherford did in Pittsburgh, finding the Carl Haglins and the Trevor Daly's and all these guys that came in to support their stars. It's hard to find stars and difference makers. The Canucks have them. I feel like the right ones. And now it's a matter of going out to get those other pieces. Uh, this uh, this offseason uh, with the salary cap and teams moving, uh, you know, we had uh, Armstrong on uh, last week and he's like, hey, we're open for business to get more picks to, to take on some people's salaries. So 
Jim Rutherford saying we got to move stuff out. So, man, I, as much as I'm loving the playoffs, the offseason is going to be uh, highly entertaining, too, when we get into uh, into July. So uh, enjoy round two. Uh, it starts on Tuesday. And then, of course, uh, by Friday, we'll, we'll have a few games uh, done in each series. Uh, we'll see the health of Drysaddle and Braden Point and, and many other storylines. Uh, have a great week. Uh, get some rest, uh, NHL fans. Uh, you've earned it after a busy weekend. See you, Frank. See you in Calgary. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on Daily faceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode delivered by DoorDash. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.